2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. This is what the Word of God has to say. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Oh, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So this week, our nation uh, will celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. And as such, uh, there will be much talk about being thankful. And that's appropriate and right. And uh, there will be families, both those who know Jesus and families who don't know Jesus, that will gather. And for a Thanksgiving meal, they will celebrate the holiday of Thanksgiving. And they will speak about, talk about, converse about being thankful. Generally, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving holiday, I preach a sermon on the subject of giving thanks. And it's one of the easier topics to preach about because all throughout Scripture, there is much, I mean, there is a lot of passages that talk about Thanksgiving. It's a theme that runs throughout the Scriptures. And at the most basic level, Thanksgiving is the response to receiving a, a provision, a needed provision. So at the very basic this morning, any of us can understand, whether you know Jesus or not, when you receive something that is needed or good, the natural response, the good response, the right response is to be thankful for it. Some of you, some of you grew up with your mom's beating into your head. If you get something, you receive something, the very first act you do is to sit down and what? Write a thank you note. You don't think that's serious business? My grandmother remembered a lady who she gave a gift to 40 years before I was born who never wrote a thank you note, and she never forgot it. You better write those thank you notes. Somebody say amen. On one level, everyone can express thanksgiving and be thankful. You don't have to be a Christian this morning to be appreciative, to be thankful for things. But the Bible points us to a much deeper understanding of thanksgiving and a response to that that, that, um, that affects our generosity. And that's what I want to give our attention to this, this morning. So the Bible presents thanksgiving as a worship response. And that is very different than just being appreciative or uh, being um, uh, appreciative or thankful for just something that you give and that, you re that you've received and, and expressing it as such. Thanksgiving is more about the one who provides than the one who receives. That's the big difference this morning. 
So, so most everybody, when they participate in the Thanksgiving holiday, in a secular sense, sees Thanksgiving as focused on the one who receives. So I've gotten something good. I've gotten something that I wanted. I've gotten something that I've needed. And so I'm appreciative of it. I'm thankful for that. And if you do the whole thing going around the table and everybody say something you're thankful for, that's typically the focus of it. Well, I'm thankful for this. And you identify some good thing in your, in your life. But Thanksgiving as a worship response is more about the one who provides than the one who receives. Now, this passage, as I have already mentioned, is part of a longer passage where Paul is appealing to the Gentile Christians in Corinth to give an offering, and a significant offering at that, to the, for the support of Christians, the Jewish Christians in the Jerusalem area. Now, to you and I, that sounds rather Benign, Of course, Christians in Corinth ought to give uh, support for the needy Christians in Jerusalem. But you can appreciate that in every generation there are political, ethnic, cultural, and economic differences that affect how people view and judge others. And so if I were to name some demographics, if I were to name some political distinctions, if I were to name some geographic distinctions, that would produce in all of us some positive thoughts, some negative thoughts, some judgmental thoughts of positive things and some judgmental thoughts of negative things. And that dynamic is also true in the first century. There were some significant differences that are helpful, I think, to understand the context behind this passage and the appeal for the Corinthians to give financially to the um, Jerusalem Christians. So just a couple of bullet points here for your understanding. First of all, Paul expected a large gift that would, in his words, fully support the needs of the saints. And so this is, no, this is no little gift. This is no just out of the change of your pocket. In fact, he's writing them saying, you need to be prepared. This is not something you can just do on the fly. You need to prepare, collect, gather this gift. It's going to be a large gift and, um, and that he expected them to give. From this, we understand, and it's a good assumption to make, that most likely the, the Corinth Christians were typically well off. So Corinth was a, was, a, um, was, a, was a port city. It had a lot of trade and economic commerce. Um, and so it's very likely that the Christians in the Corinth church were enjoying the economic boom, a boom of, of the Corinth city, the Corinthian city, and so they were well off. It's also, I think, a safe assumption here to understand that the Macedonian or the Jerusalem Christians were impoverished. Uh, they were not so well off. They were in need of financial support. It's likely here that the, the Corinthians had not experienced as much persecution as the Jerusalem Christians had, and we know that they had experienced much persecution. But there's something else going on. This gift, Paul understood, was going to give evidence of the genuine faith of the Christians there in Corinth. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were very suspicious of the Gentile converts. Some of them were even opposed to the gospel being preached to the Gentiles. They didn't think that was right. 
They weren't sure God wanted to save the Gentiles. Why then go and preach to the Gentiles? And even as reports were coming back that some of the Gentiles were believing on Jesus and being saved, many of the Jewish Christians found it difficult to accept that that salvation was real, that it was genuine, and that, uh, that they had really uh, been saved. And they were very much struggling with receiving the Gentile Christians as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul recognizes this is an opportunity to do a couple of things. Number one, to testify the, to the genuineness of the Corinthians' faith and their obedience to God to give to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, but also for the Jerusalem Christians, the Jewish Christians, to recognize that and to receive their brothers and sisters in faith in, uh, in, in their hearts. Now, there are two things that I think are inseparable and that is thanksgiving and generosity. When you are thankful, or as your thanksgiving grows, so will your generosity grows, grow. One produces the other. Thanksgiving produces generosity, and conversely, generosity produces thanksgiving. Both thanksgiving and generosity bring glory to God. One of the questions I want us to consider as we walk through this passage is how does the gift, how do the gifts that you have received from God affect what you give? So we, we, we'll talk today about the greatest gift of God is our gift of salvation. How does that affect how you give? Now, all the time there are opportunities for you to be giving. Even this season and, and during the, the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, there are abundant opportunities to give beyond just your regular tithes and offerings to the church. You'll be, you'll be hearing in the weeks to come uh, an appeal for you to give to the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that supports the, the missionary endeavor of the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist Convention to take the gospel to the far ends of the globe. Uh, you, you, there's, there's things like the angel tree in the hallway to support a, a local needy family. Tonight Night, uh, the, the Operation Christmas Child boxes and, and giving to that is an opportunity to take the gospel around the globe through that, that effort. And then just individually, you all are, um, you are, are confronted every day on your own, privately, where nobody will ever know, opportunities for you to give and be generous to those who are in need. And the question is, how does the gospel, how does what you have received from God affect what you give to others? With that in mind, I want us to think and, and see from this passage these two truths. Foundationally, we must be thankful for God's provision. That's where we'll begin. That's sort of the, the base foundational level. And then secondly, that thanksgiving for God's provision in our life produces thankful generosity. That your generosity will be motivated by your thankfulness in the Lord's provision. But let's begin we're thankful for God's provision. And I just want you to draw your attention back to verses 10 and 11. Paul says boldly here, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What Paul is saying here is that God provides for your physical needs. God provides for your spiritual needs. But let's begin with this idea of God providing for your physical needs. Now, before I say another word on this subject, I, I need to just 
um, talk about some theological issues here. One of the present day consequences of the dangerous and false teaching of prosperity gospel or prosperity preachers is that those who faithfully preach the word are, are, are afraid when you get in a passage like this where God is promising to provide for your physical needs that nobody wants to sound like the false preachers who peddle the, the, the lie of the prosperity gospel. And so one of the consequences of that is I think that those who faithfully preach the word oftentimes don't preach these passages as passionately and faithfully as they ought to for fear that they might be um, assumed to be or heard as if they were being preaching like a prosperity gospel preacher. And this passage is ripe with these concerns. Paul is calling the Corinthians to give and to give generously. And in verse 10, he clearly indicates that God will provide for the saints. Now, to help understand what Paul is saying, I think it's helpful for us to understand what he is not saying. Now, you might not know what the prosperity gospel is or who the prosperity gospel preachers are. There are some today who, pre who are preach that are preaching a false teaching known as, in couple, under a couple of different names, prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, or the word faith, or just the faith movement. Some of the names that you might have heard in, in a generation past, they were Jimmy Swaggart and Jim and Tammy Baker, Oral Roberts, that crowd. In our current day, it's folks like Kenneth Copeland and Bishop Eddie Long and Paula White and Benny Hinn and Joe Osteen. These are false teachers, friends. If you've got their books and you're listening to their preaching, you need to stop right now. They, these false teachers espouse that God rewards faith and hefty tithing with financial blessing. In other words, the, the baseline of what they're saying is if the, the evidence of God's blessing in your life is wealth, and sometimes they'll add to that health. And, and if you believe in faith, then you get those things. And so you'll hear them talking about, well, you need to, regardless of what's in your bank account, you just need to write a big check and believe in faith that God's going to fill up your bank account with the ability to give that. Now, I want to be very clear. Paul is not teaching here that the Corinthians would be rewarded with more wealth if they gave large gifts to the Christians in Jerusalem. That is not a promise of Scripture. Hear me? The, the, the word of the gospel and the promise of Scripture is not so debased as to be about your financial checkbook. Somebody say amen. There's something greater going on here. He is saying that God will provide for their obedience. Now, that's different, isn't it? You see, the first says it's about me and my wealth. And so I'm going to give something so that I can get something. Do you see how selfish that is? Do you see how sinful that is? Do you see how low and earthly that is? That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, though, is listen, as God calls you to obedience, he'll provide for that obedience. And that is a true statement and a true theme that you will find from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. You be obedient to what God is calling you to do and be, and God will provide for that obedience. When theologian writes in his uh, systematic theology, he says, in response to the health and wealth gospel, it must be emphasized that Christians as responsible stewards of material things are not to give their money or property to God via the church or parachurch movements with the motive of, being, of obtaining greater material possessions for themselves. 
That is not the gospel we find in the Bible. We may give everything we have. You may even be called to give your very life, but it's not so that you might gain more things here on this earth. It's that you might store up treasures in the glory of heaven. Somebody say amen. Another commentator writing on this said, the reason God gives back to those who give is not, as prosperity teachers falsely imply and exemplify, so people can consume it on their own desires with bigger cars, homes, and jewels. God supplies them so that they will have an abundance of every good deed. The Lord will fully supply cheerful givers with what they need to use for what is good work to the honor of the Lord. You notice that a biblical understanding of giving and even a biblical understanding of receiving is all about what God is doing, not what you are getting. There's the difference between the false teachers and faithful teachers of scriptures. Now, I do think what Paul is saying is that we should see all that we have as a gift from the Lord. So he says, the seed and the bread is a gift of the Lord. He says, the ingredients and the product are a gift for the Lord. In other words, from the very thing we pull from the ground, even how it comes up out of the ground, all the way to the finished product, we see everything as a gift of the Lord. And he supplies it all. The pride of man looks at the product of his hands and says, I made that. He takes the flour. He takes, the, he takes the grain and then the flour and, and he puts the ingredients together. He makes bread and he goes, this is mine because I made it. But the believer says, no, God gave me the grain. He gave me even the wisdom to know how to put the ingredients together. And he produced the bread that I put in my mouth. The heart of one who knows the Lord recognizes that God provides everything, the material, the ability, the growth, the harvest, the finished, pro- the pr- finished product. And friends, a thankful heart recognizes that God provides for all things, including your physical needs. Now, it's interesting here. Paul is saying he's going to provide for the, for the offering that he wants the Corinthians to, uh, to give. But I, I think it is right for us to understand that in providing for that, he, they can understand that God is going to provide for their physical needs, even their abundance here, to give joyfully to their brothers and sisters in Macedonia. He provides for our physical needs, but God also provides for our spiritual needs. Look there at the very last part of verse 10. He says, to multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of what? Not what you put in your barns and not what you calculate in your bank account, but to increase the harvest of your righteousness. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying that God provides for your spiritual needs. One of the common themes of those who misrepresent the Bible for their own advancement is that they misinterpret Scripture to be focused on and to be about themselves. The testimony of Scripture from start to finish is focused on and points to the glory of God. God created all things for his glory. God chose his people for his glory. God sent his son Jesus as a sacrificial lamb for the salvation of the lost as a demonstration for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. Here we see that God provides for our physical needs, but this ministry is for greater things, to increase the harvest of your 
righteousness, to give you an opportunity for obedience, to give them an opportunity for sacrifice, to give an opportunity for the increase, for the advancement, for the growth of their righteousness. Paul understood that the generosity of the Corinthians was not simply a financial transaction. It had practical implications, yes. There were physical needs in Jerusalem. There were financial needs in Jerusalem that the Corinthians God had called to meet. But it was not just practical implications. It was not, it was not, uh, but it was, uh, uh, um, it was not foremost a practical act. What Paul understood was that the generosity of the Corinthians was a spiritual act of obedience to the Lord. Now, friends, true thanksgiving, listen to me, true thanksgiving is a response to the grace of God. There's an old hymn, count your many blessings, count them. Some of you know it. Count your many blessings, count them one by one. But you know the truth of it is? You can't count them one by one. They're too many. It's like trying to count the stars or go to the beach and count the number of sands on the, on the beach. You, at some point, you can start one, two, three, four. You know, do you remember when you were a kid and you thought it was something that you could count all the way to 100? Some of you can go beyond that. Praise God for that. But at some point, the overwhelming sheer volume humbles you to a place where you say, I can't count anymore. You can't count the blessings of God in your life. They're too great. You've forgotten more than you'll ever be able to count. True thanksgiving is a response to the grace of God. One who is truly thankful responds in obedience to the Lord who has provided when you obey the Lord, it produces in you far more benefit than any physical provision can accomplish. God had provided to the Corinthian Christians the resources to give to the Jerusalem Christians, not only to provide for the Jerusalem Christians what they physically needed, but also to provide to the Corinthian Christians what they spiritually needed. Do you see what's happening here? There's a financial transaction. Corinthians are going to give some money to the Jerusalems. The Jerusalem Christians needed that money. So there's a, we've got something, we're going to give you something, that blesses them. But, but in the act of obedience to God's command, God was giving the Corinthians something. He was giving them the, the spiritual blessing that they needed. He was providing for the spiritual needs that they needed. He was providing for the spiritual obedience that they needed. Oh, dear friends, be thankful for God, for how God has provided for you to be obedient and to grow in faith. Now, every now and then, you'll have one of those opportunities. I, I hear these testimonies often where you're, you're doing something normal, regular activity, and God impresses on your heart you need, to, you need to give or you need to respond to this person in this certain way. And we've all had two responses to that. We've had those responses where we've said, well, maybe tomorrow and then, then that opportunity lapses and your heart breaks because you missed an opportunity to be obedient to the Lord. And we've also had those opportunities, uh, those, those experiences where we've responded in obedience. And if you've recently had one of those opportunities where you've responded in obedience, tell me, dear friends, that the gift of righteousness in your heart was not greater than whatever it was that you gave out of your wallet. 
God provides for your physical needs. He provides for your spiritual needs, and he provides for others through you. That's the idea here, too, is that God was, was enriching the Corinthians so that he might bless the Jerusalem or the Macedonians. The gift, of the, the gift of the Corinthians will have the spiritual benefit of producing thanksgiving in the Jerusalem Christians. Now, this may seem, I mean, this may be one of those obvious truths that you think, well, that doesn't need to be said. Of course, God's providing for them through the Corinthians. But, but I, I think there's some things here that is important for us to recognize. God uses obedient saints to bless and provide for his followers and the advancement of his kingdom. In, in other words, what, what he understood was happening here is that the, 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 the Corinthians and the Jerusalem or the Macedonian Christians were not going to be focused on each other as much as they were going to be focused on God. In other words, the Corinthians are going to say, God provided for us to give this gift. The, the, the Jerusalem Christians are going to say, God provided for us through the Corinthians. Praise God. Both of them were giving their attention to the one who provided. It wasn't the, each other. It was the Lord himself. I read a story as I was preparing for this sermon about a wealthy Christian who daily, as part of their family devotions, prayed for the needs of the missionaries that their church supported. And every day, he and his family gathered, and he was a wealthy man, and he gathered his family together, and, he, and they would pray, oh, God, would you supply all the needs that the missionaries at our church supports needs? His son had been part of those daily prayer um, sessions and he'd heard his dad pray fervently and passionately for the, the needs of the missionaries to be met. One morning after he had, his dad had completed the family prayers, a little boy looked up at his dad and said, Dad, if I had your checkbook, I could answer your prayers. Friends, God provides for his kingdom through you. Do you not understand that what you have is not just for you? What you have, what God has given you, is his gift for his kingdom. Paul recognizes that God has provided for the Jerusalem churches through the salvation and resulting obedience of the Corinthian church. The influence of our self-focused culture on the church is that we too often think of salvation and our relationship with Jesus only in selfish terms. What Christ does for me what salvation does for me, what the church can provide for me. Dear friends, you were saved for the glory of God, and he has called you to be a blessing for his kingdom. Think more of your salvation in terms of how God can use you rather than how you can be blessed. So be thankful for God's provision. He's provided enough. And that produces in us, I believe, thankful generosity. Now, some of you are more generous than others just by personality. I get that. But I think all of us, our generosity, our spiritual act of generosity, ought to flow from our recognition of God's provision. And I, and I want to speak about it in, in, in three ways when I talk about generosity. First, generosity produces thanksgiving to God. So look back in the passage with me. Again at verse 11 and verse 12 where it says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So this gift is going to produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry, this is verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to what? Not to the Corinthian church, but to God. 
Generosity produces thanksgiving to God. We tend to think of thanksgiving to be the response of only those who have received good gifts. In this passage, Paul connects both the giving and the receiving as equal parts of thanksgiving. The Christians who received the gift would certainly be thankful. This is what he references in verse 12 when he says, we'll produce thanksgiving to God. So the, the, the churches in Macedonia, the Jerusalem church, the Jews there, will be thankful that their needs will be met through the offering of the Corinthians. But Paul doubles down on, 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 thank, on, 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 doubles down on the idea of thanksgiving in the following verse. So in verse 12 he says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. I don't think at that thanksgiving he's talking just about the Macedonians or the Jerusalem Christians. I think he's talking about the Corinthians, the Jerusalems, and everybody else overflowing abundantly thanksgiving to God. The gifts are doing two things. They are providing for the saints, and they are overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. I think those last two words in verse 12 are the most instructive. If this was a simple financial transaction, then we would expect that, they would, that the recipients would be thankful to the ones who have given them a gift. That makes sense. You don't have to know Jesus to get that. Somebody gives you something, you ought to be appreciative. You ought to say thank you. But Paul recognizes that something greater is happening. The obedience to give is going to produce an abundance an overwhelming abundance of thanksgiving to God. Ironside, writing on this passage, said, It begins with God and ends with God. God is able to make all grace abound towards you as you give of your substance to him. You give to sustain his servants in distant fields. They are blessed and return thanksgiving to God, and that blessing comes back to you. All the rivers run into the sea. The moisture is called up from the sea into the clouds. The water comes down on the land from the clouds, and the rivers carry it to the sea again. And so there is a never-failing cycle of blessing. In other words, this obedience, this generosity produces an overflowing, ever-flowing abundance of thanksgiving. Don't miss the important distinction here. Paul is not saying that expensive gifts produce overwhelming thanksgiving to God. He's not saying, listen, dear Corinthians, if you give an expensive gift, a great gift, that'll produce uh, overwhelming thanksgiving. There are Abundant examples of those who have received extravagant gifts and are not thankful. In fact, we live in a world of extravagance, and many in our world, although we've received a lot of good things, are not thankful people. Paul is saying that, that, when, we, uh, that when you give out of the abundance of God's blessing, it blesses the recipients, and they recognize how God has been, how good God has been to them, and in turn blesses, and that, that in turn blesses you, and in turn it results in overflowing and many thanksgiving to God. In other words, it just kind of exponentially explodes in thanksgiving. From the first obedience to the last recipient, the focus is on the Lord who provides all good things. Generosity produces or, or thanksgiving to God. And secondly, generosity glorifies God. Look in verse 13 and 14. He says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God 
upon you. Paul gives two reasons here for why this gift would bring glory to God. Number one, the givers were obedient to God. That's worthy of glorification. Praise God for their obedience. Secondly, the offering helped the church, and that glorifies God as well. Thankful for what God has done in others and thankful for how God has used the saints to bless others. Thankful for God's abundant grace. And thanksgiving is, is, is a barometer here, I think, of the condition of the heart. So what, what I think Paul is getting at is here is the response of thanksgiving is a testimony to what has already happened in the heart. Can I just say, dear friends, that the lack of thanksgiving indicates that you are blind to how God is working, blind to the promises of the word, blind to the goodness of salvation, blind to the blessing of God's presence. But when you give yourself to the act of thanksgiving, it is a recognition of God's provision for you. It is a recognition of God's goodness towards you. It is a recognition of God's redemptive work in you. And Paul was already anticipating the response of the Jewish Christians as they rejoiced. The testimony of the true faith, of the, uh, rejoiced in the testimony of the true faith of the Corinthians, the, the, the witness of the Corinthians of, of obedience and the goodness of God to provide for them through their former enemies. Thanksgiving draws your attention to the power and the majesty of God, and by that it brings glory to his name. Thanksgiving, generosity, glorifies God. And then there's one other thing here. I don't want to miss it because I think it's rather important. And that's found in that last verse. It's almost as if Paul finishes the thought in verse 14, but he just can't stop in verse 15. And so there's, in fact, I would, I would categorize verse 15 as a spontaneous response of praise or a spontaneous response of worship. What, look at what he says. So he finishes the thought, surpassing grace of God upon you. That's verse 14. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. And what's the inexpressible gift? Well, I think generosity is a response to salvation. That's the inexpressible gift. The last verse of this chapter is an expression of worship. Paul, thinking about all that God is going to do, breaks out in worship with verse 15. The goodness of God's provision for our physical needs is great, but the greater and greatest gift of God is the provision for our salvation. Can we agree today that if God did nothing for you but save you, that's worthy of eternal thanksgiving? Somebody say amen. I mean, friends, if you died hungry, sick, and pitiful, but your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that's worthy of eternal thanksgiving. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's seeing all that God is doing in the Corinthians. Praise God. Listen, he's overwhelmed that God is radically saving Gentiles who formerly were thought, the Jewish people thought they can't be saved. They're, they're too worldly. They're too wicked. And here God is saving and even using their money now to bless the Jerusalem church. Paul goes, God is amazing with that. Praise God for that. And then he just begins to think about, but it's greater than just the money exchange. God is doing something amazing here. He is saving souls from eternal damnation in hell. And he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I can't even tell you how good God has been, is what he's saying here. The goodness of God's provision for our physical needs is great, but far, far, far greater. It's the gift of God's provision for our salvation. All of God's provisions point us to the greatest gifts. That is the gift of his son, Jesus, and the gift of eternal life through Jesus. It doesn't matter how well you're fed today. If you don't know Jesus, it's worthless. 
It doesn't matter how thick your bank account is today. If you don't know Jesus, it's pointless. It doesn't matter how healthy and well you are today. If you don't know Jesus, your health will flee and fail you. Dear friends, listen to me. There are good gifts that are to receive, wealth and, uh, and health and those sort of things, but all of those things are going away. The great inexpressible gift is the gift of salvation that saves you for eternity, that writes your name in the Lamb's book of life that cannot be erased, amen? That when you die, your physical body dies, you live with God in eternity, and when Jesus comes back, he'll resurrect your body to live and dwell with him forever and ever and ever in the mansion that he is preparing for us. That's an inexpressible gift indeed. Everything in this world is passing away. Nothing we receive or give away on this earth we have, will have any value in eternity. The gift of salvation is the greatest gift of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, this is after they were adults and both had their ministries. When he saw Jesus coming, he declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Good gift indeed. It pleased God to give his own son as a sacrificial lamb for the redemption of your sin. And those who have received this gift will have thanksgiving on their lips and in their heart now and for all eternity. I was trying to think how to connect, how to illustrate this relationship between thanksgiving and generosity. I settled on the relationship of water and its movement. And you and I typically think of calm water as pleasant and safe. Rapids and turbulent water we might see as something dangerous and, and, uh, and something to be wary of. But friends, you understand that stagnant water can be and often is a major environmental hazard. Now, water stagnation happens when water stops flowing. So nothing's coming in and nothing's going out. Stagnant water can be the source of malaria and, and other um, viruses because it, is the, um, it, it plays a wonderful, hospitable host to mosquitoes that breathe there and, and carry such diseases. Stagnant water can be dangerous because it can provide a, a suitable place for bacteria and parasites to thrive. Stagnant water is easily contaminated because when contaminants are, are put in, there's nowhere for them to go, and so they can contaminate the water. It is a source of great trouble around the globe when stagnant water is the only water available. It causes great sickness and, and health issues. On the other side, fresh water is is, uh, is characterized by two things. It's got new water flowing in and old water flowing out. And that constant flowing in and flowing out protects against the dangers associated with stagnant water. And I think that is the way it is with thanksgiving and generosity. Being thankful for what is received motivates, even produces thanksgiving for what we can be able to give away. Do you see that relationship? When you are truly thankful for God's good gifts of what he has given you, it produces, it motivates 
thanksgiving for what you can give away. Receiving and giving. Thanksgiving, generosity. If you're just thankful, but you're not generous, you're stagnant. Stagnant water stinks. Stagnant water is dangerous. Stagnant water can, can, be, the, can be the petri dish of death. But life comes, goodness comes, freshness comes by receiving and giving. Both the receiving and the giving produces health. And friends, I think that's where we need to be this morning. If you know Jesus, that should have produced and should be producing in you a heart overwhelmed with thanksgiving. And that thanksgiving for the goodness of God in your life should be motivating and producing in you a generous heart to give. Friends, if you don't know Jesus this morning, the beckoning is always come and know. The one who will give you more than you can imagine and provide for you to give more than you ever thought you could give. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.